The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. We're the Elsers. Hello and welcome to Elsners, a production of Galactic Netcast. I'm Gregor Sprague. And I'm Corey Scott. For all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to GN or go to Elsners.com. And for other Galactic Netcast programs, go to GNCast.com. On Elsners, we will tell you about the things that we have read or watched in a spoilery fashion. And then we will swear in your ear holes. Exactly. And we're going to kick things off with our news, with the Elts news. And the first little bit, or the first bit of news is, actually the first two stories is casting news. Um, and both of the, or both of them for the nerdy side, because hey, we're nerds. Um, the first one is Spider-Man Homecoming casts uh, Michael Barbary. And I don't know who Michael Barbary is. I, I don't, th- he looks like I've seen him on like Disney Channel shows. He's 14 years old, so he yeah. is legitimately... Uh, I think he's the the friend that's playing a high school age kid who actually is a high school age kid. Yeah, but he's he's currently uh, filming The Dark Tower right now, so I mean that's pretty cool. Um, but the interesting part for me and why I decided we should talk about this is that um, Barbary's character will be a new one, though he'll be based off of the Ultimate Spider-Man character of Genki. Who? Yeah. Yeah, which is an interesting interesting thing here. Well, I don't know the character because I haven't read much of the Miles Morales stuff at all. But I have seen people online who are taking this in a very stupid direction because they're assuming that he is actually playing the character Genki. Genki is an Asian-American character, and people are pissed off because they have another white person playing... Yeah, I'm playing a... <laughs> it's just... It's the inability to read and the inability to actually give a shit before you just bitch about things online. Yeah, so let me explain here while I shake the ca- camera because I'm trying to clean a spot on my computer. Um, Genki, for them basing it off of Genki, he's... Before he learns that Miles Morales is Spider-Man, he was like a f- super fan of Spider-Man of both Spider-Men in the Ultimate Universe. Starting with Peter Parker's Spider-Man, and then this new Spider-Man comes in, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. While not realizing his best friend is the guy he's like, oh my gosh, and fanning or fa- or fanboying over. Wasn't there a character like that in the Peter Parker version of the Ultimate Universe that had like kind of a bulky guy who I think might have also been... Yeah, evasion um, descent. If I can remember correctly, I think uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, Wasn't it Kong or something with yeah. a K? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of his name, but yeah, it was something like that. And it, but that one was more. He wasn't friends with Peter Parker in this one. He was. Um, I think he was almost like the bully. I think he started as a bully, but then he became friends with them and hung out with them all, and had a crush on either Gwen or. Maybe even Kitty Pride when Peter was dating Kitty for a while and then broke up with her. A lot of weird stuff happened in the Ultimate Universe, but it, I don't know, this almost sounds like Bendis repeating himself. It's like, well, we wanted to introduce a a new Spider-Man, but we liked the, the 
characters, how they interacted with each other in the old one, so we'll just do that again, which is not which, unusual for Mimnus. Yeah, but it also makes sense in a way. I mean, because, I mean, it, this gave Miles very early on someone that he could talk to because Peter was dead. His his uncle who gave him the the who stole the spider that he got bit by goes to jail or turns to crime back to crime and goes to jail and all this. So he never really had someone like he had Captain America over there and he had um like Nick Fury, but that was that was more of a mentor mentee thing, not oh my gosh, did you see the fight I had with Venom and I survived sort of thing. Yeah, and I guess it's not that unusual to have a superhero, teen superhero, have a best friend. Uh, Static Shock had that in the cartoon series. Invincible had that for a good period of time at the beginning of the comic series. It it makes sense. Uh, I liked how Blue Beetle did it where it was two best friends, but also a whole group, kind of like a whole gang that helped him out for a while when they introduced the Jaime Reyes series, uh, which was one of my favorite comics. So, yeah... uh, Cool, we're getting kind of a feel of and, where they're going with this. You know, it, yeah, it's certainly and, kids being kids in some ways. Well, and the other interesting thing about this is who else is in here. So we have uh, Robert Downey Jr. coming back as Iron Man. And if you saw Robert Downey Jr.'s post today on Facebook, it's a still from <laughs> one of the comics of Aunt May being caught in bed. In the comic, I believe it was with Otto Octavius. Uh, Dr. Octopus, but he's superimposed his face on the guy's <laughs> head as Peter catches Aunt May uh, mid-coitus. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, and so that tells you that they're going to age up Marissa Tomei, make her look like an, an old lady aunt, not the, oh my god, she's totally bangable aunt that she is right now. Um and then Zendaya, another Disney Channel star, is um, going to be in another role of as a classmate of Peter's. And then Michael Keaton as the primary villain, who people are largely speculating to be uh, he, him be playing the Vulture. Which, if that's the case, I feel like he's too young. I well, mean, I mean, they are skewing young with all of these characters, so... Yeah, but... I, I I can't think of what his first name is, but Tombs, the the vulture had been old, like almost geri- like geriatric old. Yeah, are you talking about the mainstream Marvel universe, or you're talking about the Ultimate universe? Uh, I don't know about Ultimate universe, but I'm talking more mainstream here with that. Yeah, mainstream Peter Parker is also somewhere. I mean, depending on where you've bounced in continuity, thanks Velasco, uh, he could be anywhere <laughs> from twenty to forty. So yeah. they doing younger with all of these, and Aunt May in the mainstream universe is uh, Wilford Brimley looks at Aunt May and goes, "Bitch is old." <laughs> I love that. Um, but oh, yeah. get a diabetes in the day. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm. It's funny because we're not seeing people cast as the extended cast that we normally know from Spider-Man. Yeah. We haven't seen a Mary Jane or a Gwen Stacy or a Flash Thompson or any of those things, although they've all been done. We, we've had them all in the film so far, so maybe trying something different is... I'm, I'm going to throw better. an interesting thing out here. 
what if Zendaya is playing Gwen Stacy? Internet rage, motherfucker! Uh, (laughs) I'd be fine with that. Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane, whoever. Or maybe just a new love interest that isn't from the comics as far as we know. All of that is okay. I, I... really wanted this to be a Miles Morales movie anyways. Yeah. And since they apparently are doing a Miles Morales animated film uh, from Sony, that is that was recently brought up. I don't know if we talked about last week or not. I think, I think it came out after. So we missed our, our window. Yeah, so there's that. So the animated film that Sony has announced, everyone assumed was about Peter Parker, is actually a Miles Morales movie. So great. Which makes sense. I mean, because you can't... It, it wouldn't make sense to do Spider-Man here with Tom Holland as Peter Parker, then do an animated... Unless it was... The only exception I could see to this would be unless it was a Disney XD... Like, like you're bringing... It's the ultimate Spider-Man that, that airs on Disney XD. I think people it, can accept that things are different. At the same time, it's not like... We've been told that Batman in the Lego movie that's coming out is Dick Grayson or Azrael or <laughs> any other people who've replaced Bruce Wayne in the costume. So it, yeah. it, I think people can understand that this is the same Spider-Man, but we're doing an animated movie too, and it'll be different. Yeah, but at the same time, though... In the it's... midst of them doing the... Not the... Uh, Tim Burton Batman movies, but the ones that came after of which we should not speak, there was the Batman, the animated series film, Mask of the Phantasm, came out in the theaters. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just kind of shut them all up. So, it can happen. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, so that's th- that new story. Sorry, I'm wrapping my finger up from my cut, or from the scar. I just put Neosporin on there and then I wrap it up just so it's Stays nice and I, I want a good scar, but I don't want it. But I want it to like be healthy too. You don't but, want herpes. Exactly. Um, God, everyone's been talking about herpes today. <laughs> like no, seriously, my work it was Maybe brought up like stop hanging out at the free clinic. No, hey, <laughs> you want to move on to the next story? Yeah. Um. So the next story is Steven uh, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One adds win uh, win more. Win Morisaki um, in the role. And this is actually where I think I, I had a little bit of a problem with the saying person the that... Well, yeah. But, hey, you try saying it. Win Morisaki. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Make up but, your mind, bitch. Um, but uh, this is, is going to be his Hollywood debut. Um, but he's... where uh, This is where I had... I sort of had a problem with who they cast as the main character in this mo- in the movie, um, which I can't think of who it was. Yeah, I think Kristen Stewart was probably a bad choice and not accurate to the book at all. No, well, it wasn't even that. It was. I'm kidding. Jesus I know, Christ. No, it was um, the the kid that they got was a little too bit, a little too pretty to play uh, Wade Watts in here. I think his last name's Watts. Yeah, Wade Watts, um, because it, it like with how they describe with how they describe him in the book, he's a little heavier, you know, not like obese, but you know he's a little heavier, and and all this stuff. So like I could see him playing the 
Oasis version of him, but then it's like, all right, so is he, is he going to have prosthetics or how is this going to work? Sort of deal. This guy, I see him, I could see him playing uh, Toshihiro uh, Yoshiaki, a.k.a. Daito, in here. Um, especially if, you know, well, since, okay, he's Japanese, so hey, hey, check that one off. Um, we're not going to have no Marvel Ancient One situations going on here. But he's also what he's he's a young actor too so i mean it, it all makes sense um and he does have I mean, a lot of experience in films it's just they're not american slash hollywood films yeah so he's, he's 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 go ahead i was just gonna say i mean he's coming in and he brings some pedigree to the movie and if i don't know anything about the the book i have not read ready player one uh, i know that you've told me about it before uh, I've got friends at work who have read it or a friend at work who's read it and everybody compares me to it because I'm the reference guy. But in any regard, it I, I can imagine that there's some action to the film and getting somebody who's done, uh, I believe, action movies uh, in Japan might make a good degree of sense. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to mention is... Um, He's he's a member of the boy band uh, Prismax, um, and he's also appeared in a handful of Japanese television series, as well as the films Sherry and Goku Sen the movie. Um, and I just I was looking at the casting mainly to try to figure out who's. So Ty Sheridan is the one who's playing uh, Wade Watts, um, and he's. First off, it looks like I've seen him in something. I can't think of what it was. But he looks like one of those, like, like Degrassi pretty boys sort of deal. Um, and actually, it wouldn't be surprise me if he was in Degrassi. But... Uh, he was in that Scout's Guide to Zombies. Yeah. That recently. But, uh, and he's I, the new Cyclops in X-Men, I think. Yeah, that's it. Um... But and I'm I'm looking at this casting and I'm really enjoying this casting because you got uh, T.J. Miller, Olivia Cook, um, who Olivia Cook is playing the love interest in here of of Samantha Cook, aka Artemis. Um, Simon Pegg is playing um, Ogden Morrow, who I believe is the Steve Wozniak type character. Um, and then Mark Rylance is playing um, Holiday, which actually that's a pretty good casting choice too. Because the way I, with how I pictured um, Holiday, the main, you know, the guy who creates this, the Oasis, I pictured him looking like Steve Jobs, but having more of, the eccentricities of of Waz sort of deal um, from how I read it. And I, I could be, you know, completely talking out of my butt, more than likely I am. But this sounds, this is making me more and more excited and I cannot wait until March 20th, 2018 for this movie to come out. Yeah, it's, I mean, maybe at that point I'll actually know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you should read the book. Uh, I believe I was holding out, and I actually bought it or got actually, it with one of my Audible subscriptions. Uh, I was waiting to get the one read by Will Wheaton. Yeah, which he reads both. I think he reads both of Ernie Klein's I, books. I believe he did do Armada as well. Well, no, he did do Armada, but I, I don't know if there's another Ernie Klein book, but I know he, he read both of them, which is great. And I want the casting news that Will Wheaton is playing himself in here. And it'll only be a little cameo, but because he's the president of the internet in the in the book, but still, I want to see that happen. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the paycheck that you hold out for. You go, yeah. Uh, who else do you think you're gonna cast as me, right? <laughs> Chris Hardwick. <laughs> yeah, I figured. I was waiting for that. Oh um, no, they'll go cheap and get Matt Myra. <laughs> Hey, so speaking of getting things on the cheap, so uh, we've been informed. It basically gets announced at the end of the new Killing Joke movie that Justice League Dark is becoming an, the next animated film from DC. And Justice League Dark is a project that's been in development hell for many years uh, that was going to be done... Uh, I think they were talking about it before they even announced Justice League. Um, that who was going to do it? Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Yes, Guillermo was supposed to be doing this. It was going to be John Constantine, Zatanna, Swamp Thing, Dead Man, and Etrigan, I believe. I'm sorry, who who did you say the first one? Because I don't pronounce him. I only pronounce him that, that way on the TV show. Yeah, and so shut up because <laughs> no one else is calling Constantine. I know people who call him Constantine. Yeah, people that are pretentious and schmucks. So, anyways, and by that I mean <laughs> British. Hi, Daryl. Um, <laughs> so, this movie has been going and going and going and going and going to nowhere, essentially. Yeah. So, they're doing an animated film of it. And we don't have a lot of details yet. We don't know even which characters are going to be in it. The assumption is that it's going to be the characters that were planned for the original film. But we're not sure. And it's just kind of like, well, at least Justice League Dark is happening somewhere. What's funny is that it's kind of based off of a series that started with the New 52 that is no more. And I don't even think there are plans for it currently in the new DC Universe after Rebirth. The only little bit of it is uh, the uh, Hellblazer. Yeah. With with uh, of Constantine Hellblazer. You don't mean Hellblazer? Prick? No. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, I mean, this is this is cool. Um, I would love... This would be a great way for, in a way, the, TV, the Constantine TV show to live on because you just if you you cast Matt Ryan as the uh as Constantine himself it would be nice it would be nice if that happened uh I also saw a story that says that they're planning on bringing Vixen to Legends of Tomorrow but because the actress who played her in the animated series which is getting a second season and did the stint on Arrow this season is busy they're going to be doing a different Vixen character altogether, uh, wow. which I'm not sure 
why at that point? Why would you even do that? Why not just either bring in a completely different character or leave Vixen on the shelf for when this actress is free? Yeah. No, yeah, that's a that's a good good call there. I mean, I don't know. It, the Legends, the Legends of DC and all that have have a lot a big whole thing that they got to write themselves out of. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, but again, it seems like there's a lot of characters to choose from to fill in that hole mm-hmm. already available, and Vixen doesn't necessarily have to be one of them. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. At any rate, Justice League Dark. Uh, it's like the Justice League, except not at all. Yeah. Um, y- yeah, it's basically just like Justice League magic, um, where everyone's like has some sort of some in with the magical world, whether they're like like a magician or a sorcerer with um, Constantine and Zatanna, or they're a dead man who is dead. Um, basically, a ghost is how I would explain him. Um, uh, Swamp Thing uh, talks to plants, is a plant himself. Um, actually, I, it's, that's never given him justice because I I'm a pretty big fan of of Swamp Thing, starting with his, uh, from the New 52 with Charles Sewell writing it, or Soul, or however you pronounce his last name. Um, and Swamp Thing has actually had two movies and a cartoon series before. Swamp Thing is, out of all of these things, probably the most successful character. Yeah. Although I think, well, actually, no, that's, I don't know. Was Constantine in uh, Justice League? Did he or Justice League Unlimited? Did he get a little shout out there? Because I know Etrigan was in there. Was in a couple episodes. Etrigan might have been. Constantine was still a Vertigo character at the time. Yeah. So I'm not sure that he would have uh, made it into the cartoon series at that point. Yeah. Spectre would have. Uh, maybe the Phantom Stranger, a lot of those characters that were kind of in that way. Um, I kind of, like, I gotta be honest, there was a comic book series before Justice League Dark uh, by a few years called Shadow Pact that was led by Detective Chimp that was also a magic team in the DC universe, and I just thought that was a much better book. Yeah. It was a lot more fun. It started out in the Day of Vengeance crossover and kind of ballooned out from there. Had The Phantom Stranger was a part of it in some points, but Black Alice, Nightshade, uh, the Spectre, just a lot of cool people. They hung out in this place called the Oblivion Bar. I just thought it was a lot more fun. Nice. The whole thing of trying to make Constantine and Zatanna a couple never really made much sense to me either. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Um, especially since in the comic, in the Help Constantine the Hellblazer comic book, um, he he focused more on the men than the women. Like, right. like they, they acknowledge that he's bi, um, but it's like, all right, are you are you going this heavy over here because of the fact that over in just the Justice League Dark book, it was basically. Romeo and Juliet between him and Zatanna. Yeah, it was... I don't know. It was fine. It was yeah. just not... I mean... Not, not your cup of tea. It was, it was a different time. Now, yeah. it was a different time. 
And finally, speaking of Guillermo del Toro, he is uh, one of the producers of five new shows, or a producer of one of the shows out of the five, that are coming to Amazon Studios. Yeah, so um, we're going to give a brief thing over all of them. Um, but Amazon has released, or will do, be doing five series here. The first one is the Guillermo del Toro um, produced. I think he wrote the pilot, or... Yeah, he's writing it. It's a crime thriller, a supernatural crime thriller called Carnival Row. Um, and this will will also be uh, his co-director, Travis Beachman from Pacific Rim, and Renee Echeverria from Star Trek will, will be involved as well. I'm not even going to give you shit about that one. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Echeverra penned the pilot script and Guillermo del Toro will direct the first episode. Yeah, and... Killing on Carnival Row uh, follows a serial killer that lurks in the shadows of a future city that could pass for something straight out of pre-Victorian London and isn't just inhabited by humans. Which sounds really cool, to be honest. It um, sounds a little Doctor Who plot. I yeah? Mean, it, it seems like something you'd see on the BBC. Yeah, here's old Victorian London for a time traveling story. Like it's the future, but it looks like old London. How many things do? Apparently, a lot. Yeah. Um. But that's one of the five. Yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry. No, I got distracted. I'm like, wait a minute. They did the that one already. But the uh the next one is the marvelous Miss Maisel. This is done by. This is created by Gilmore Girls creator uh, Amy Sherman Palladino, and this I didn't realize this. I'm like, oh wait a minute, they did the revival over at Netflix of Gilmore Girls, but this is going to be set in the 1950s. It's a dramedy about a housewife who trades domestic life for one-liners and becomes one of the first female stand-up comics. Um, and this this is basically she's going to be doing this after wrapping up the post-production on the Netflix Gilmore Girls revival. Right. Um, I'm slightly interested in this one, um, mainly because it's set in, like, that time period, and it's like, okay, I, want, I sort of want to see how they're going to do the comedy aspect of it. Um, the next one is... As long as it's better and funnier than Punchline with Sally Field and Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um... The next one is based off of a off of a Rolling Stones article, and it's called "The Legend of the of Master Legend," and it, this is proof that superhumans do exist. Sans the superpowers, the straight out of a comic book series is based on Joshua Berman's Rolling Stone article that unmasks real life Cape Crusaders. This is going to be written by Micah Fitz uh, Fitzerman Blue and Noah Harpster, who are also co-producing with Berman. Um, with Joshua Berman, and it follows Master Legend and his sidekick Ace as they combat crime on the streets of Orlando with the Justice Force. Didn't we already see something where they were following around some of the the people who dress up and fight crime at, in superhero costumes? Like, and then we got Kick-Ass, which kind of, well, Kick-Ass 2 essentially made fun of the whole movement, and I believe Super by James Gunn did as well. Yeah, Super was great. Freaking yeah, I don't know if I can movie. handle Super. I, I saw, like, towards the end of it, and I was, oh, I don't ever want to watch yeah. this. I love James Gunn. I, I appreciate the bravery, bravery that he 
shows and making those films, but that doesn't mean I want to watch them. No, <laughs> Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy um, is more my speed. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, and yeah, I mean, it does sort of make sense. Um, I want, I will probably check out. Honestly, I'll probably go check out all five of these pilots. Um, if they do that free pilot thing. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. It's pilots okay. for pilot season, so they'll probably show you them and then see which one gets the most interest. The other two, just real fast, are Tropicana, which is about the legendary Cuban nightclub, and Strange New Things. Strange New Things is based off the critically acclaimed sci-fi novel, The Book of Strange New Things, and it's praised as Heart of Darkness, but in space. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's at least they're all kind of stand out from each other. None of them mm-hmm. seem to be the same kind of repeating thing. And they also feel like shows that wouldn't necessarily show up on your regular TV lineup, which is kind of important. I just will have to see how they play out. Because there have been a few shows that seemed like they were going to happen. Like the Zombieland pilot that was supposed to come out on Amazon and then just never happened. Well, the the pilot happened and it just got so many negative reviews. Right. That they're like, "Yeah, well, we're going to go away from this." Um which I understood because that Zombieland pilot was not was not really good at all. Um but it wasn't the actors, it was more the writing. Like I don't think the original writers of Zombieland were involved in this in the TV show. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, though, is with the big name um, Amazon TV shows that they have, so Transparent, Mozart in the Jungle, Bosch, um, the the Grand Tour coming out, uh, uh, Man in the High Castle, um, this seems different than them as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and these also seem like something that could have longevity, like like if you remember two of the early ones that came out out of that same pilot season as Zombieland with um Alphas and or Alpha House and Betas neither of them I think Betas got a season 2 but we're not talking about them the ones yeah. that have had the most longevity are Mozart in the Jungle and um and Transparent but to be fair we're not talking about the Richie Rich sitcom that showed up on Netflix either I think they both had their things that came and went. There was no fifth season of Arrested Development. I think we talked about that a mm-hmm. little bit last week. Uh, and Arrested Development was beloved by a, a fan base, at least, on TV before it even made it to Netflix. So I think they all have their growing pains, and we'll see what comes out of it. Yeah, so, shall Corey, shall we nerd out? Let's nerd. Okay, so... I'm going to talk about something that, wait, is this a book? Is yours a book book? Yeah, mine's a book. I read books, dude. What? <laughs> what is it this? It can happen. It can happen to you. You That's want me right. to get into it? I'll just... Yeah, go. Yeah, go. All right. Um, so, a little while back... I, 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 <laughs> I have uh, eyes that sometimes work, and I get tired of staring at screens... So I look at a Kindle, which is like a screen, only dead. It's a dead screen. Um, so a couple months back, I, for those who don't know, I do another podcast here on the Galactic Netcast Network called Podcast of Terror, 
Uh, we talk about stuff that makes you poop your pants. There's Wilford Brimley again. And I was asked by Matt who I might want to get as a guest on the show. Now, we are, we are really booked out for guests right now. Um, but I said, if it was up to me, my dream guest for the show at this point in time would be this writer that I really like, uh, David Wright, who is with uh, his co-writer on this, Sean Platt. They're part of the self-publishing podcast. They are part of the uh, Sterling and Stone Company, which is their their division of it is Collective Inkwell. They do a lot of horror, um, dark fiction kind of stuff. And, I mean, I've, I've read some of their stuff. I really enjoy it. I like their voices. I love their personalities on their show. They're great guys. Dave just seems like he would fit in with the podcast and likes talking about scary shit. So that seemed great. So he and Sean have been doing this new series called Karma Police, which is novellas. They're not super long books. Uh, this one is 132 pages. It's the first one in the series. It's called Jumper, uh, Karma Police Book One. And I read it in basically a night. I came home from work last week, uh, watched TV for a little bit, maybe took about an hour nap, woke up at 8 o'clock, and read this thing cover to cover in about three and a half hours. I stayed up later than I should have because I just was so desperate to finish it once I got into it. And it's really fun. So the the idea behind it is it's a little bit like Quantum Leap, which they, they recognize, they say in the description of the book. It's a little, book, a little bit like this book that David read called Every Day, uh, which is not something that I'm familiar with. But essentially this person has been jumping into other people's lives for a year. And they don't remember anything about their own life, but they sort of remember little things that they've experienced through other people and built up some experience in this. They don't know why. They don't know what the purpose of it is, but they wake up almost every day in someone else's body and are just kind of living and experiencing things. And so it's basically... Day 356, I think, when we start in this book. And the, the jumper wakes up in this one woman's body. And she's just going about her day. She's trying to figure out how to interact with, you know, people that she knows. There's a girl who lives next door who winds up staying the night at her apartment. So when she wakes up, she sees her there uh, because her mom's kind of a drunk and abusive. Uh, she goes to work at the paper that she works for. They're talking about this blind date that she has that night. And they're they're trying to talk her into it. And the person inside of her is thinking, should I even go to this? You know, am I going to damage her life by not going? Or am I going to damage it by going and maybe doing something that's going to mess her up? But okay, she, so, so they go when they're in there it is it's like a full on like like quantum leap where they're in control for the day right. right they're in control they get little bits and pieces as they go along of like here's things that maybe certain mannerisms that they would do maybe remember their passwords for logging into their computer how to get to their jobs that kind of stuff but not 100% and some of it takes a while to show up mm -hmm. um so you might get in there and and have like a lot of instincts that are similar to theirs and then you might get in there and not know anything about them and kind of have to orient yourself. And especially when you first wake up and you open your eyes and you're this other person, if they're married and there's someone else in bed with you, 
you kind of have to deal with that. Um, so it's it's right off the bat, it's pretty interesting. It's a little it's a little wordy at first, and this is me saying this. But when it gets into it, so uh, she goes to this blind date. She gets a call from the guy, and she's like, "Hey, I'll just go." She goes to meet him. He stands her up. So she's like, "Well, this is this sucks." She goes back home to her apartment, and the guy's there, but it's not the guy that she thought he was. It's someone else completely, and he attacks her. And the girl from next door is in the apartment because she has a key. She comes up and tries to save her friend, uh, gets knocked down. The man kills the woman that the jumper is in, just keeps stabbing her. As he's stabbing her, the person that is whose body she's in starts to take over and wakes up to basically being killed, and the jumper disappears into another body the next day. But the whole book is trying to solve this this killer who who murdered her and save the the girl who lives next door because he winds up taking her with him. So she's jumping from body to body or the person, the jumper is jumping from body to body around the area and trying to solve this thing and trying to figure out for themselves who they are at the same time. So the, the story moves at a very fast pace once we get through that first chapter and it just, it drives you through it. And sometimes she winds up jumping into people that she knows through this person. Sometimes they're people that have nothing to do with this person. And it just kind of goes along. But it's really good. And like I said, once I started it and I got into it, I just couldn't put it down. I didn't want to. As soon as I finished it up, I went and I bought the second book uh, right away, which I am going to give myself some time to read this week, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's great. It's very quick. They sell for like three bucks. Um, usually when you get a book from any of the Sterling and Stone people, at the end, they, if you sign up for their mailing list, they'll send you links to get started on some of their other books or short stories. Um, so it's three bucks as an investment. You get so much out of it. Um, it's completely worth it. And because these are short, they're publishing them very quickly. The only problem with the Karma Police stuff is that it's Kindle exclusive. So if you live in a place where Kindles are not your your personal choice, it, it's kind of a bummer, but I don't think it's planning on being that way completely for the long run. It's just that they, because of the shorter stories, they figured it would do better on Kindle Unlimited, and you have to be exclusive to Amazon to be part of Kindle Unlimited. So if you're a subscriber to that, then that's great. You get to read it for free. Yeah, no, exactly. Um... So does the jumper get do, – do they get to choose the body? Like, oh, I'm going to go over here now? No. It's so completely – it's not – I mean, at first it feels like it's random. That's the way that it starts out is that this person's jumping from body to body for a year, and while they've learned a lot of different things, it's not really coherent. But in this story, it seems as though that there's a purpose as to the people that – they're jumping into and the area mm-hmm. that they're staying in. Yeah. For most of it, they they've been relegated to California area, but in this, they stay really like centered around where this whole thing is happening. And while there's a couple of, in, in a video game term, uh, side quests, 
they still come back around to being about this thing. And there's a there's a time frame because trying to rescue the the girl next door um, and being a part of that means that you you have to do this in a certain amount of days. And every time the jumper wakes up in another body, it's one more step back. Setback is to where, you know, we were kind of getting somewhere and now I've lost this. Uh, so it it really is intense at points. Uh, you wind up caring about the characters even though you don't get to spend a lot of time with each of them. And it's it's just a really cool book. I did start the first chapter of the second book and right off the bat, it's growing what this put forward, and you're sort of getting a little bit more information about why the jumper is, what what they are, and mm-hmm. what's happening to them. But this one, it it it's more about this one journey. Yeah. All right. So there's jumper, and we will have the link, of course, as or as always, in the show notes. So the next. My nerding out is a TV show. Um, now, I don't, did you see this show or? I did. Yeah, okay. Um, so the show is Maya and Marty. This is the uh, NBC's summer uh, variety sketch show. I almost want to call it Summer SNL. Um, but and it's great. I mean, you got two former SNL uh, stars in Maya Rudolph and uh, Martin Short. And they're and they have the, all these different guests come in. Um, like the first episode had a bit like a very a very bit part with uh, uh Steve Martin, and then you had uh, Miley Cyrus, a Tom lot Hanks, of, Tom Hanks, uh, Kate McKinnon, Keenan Thompson, uh, Mikey Day, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Fallon. It, it seemed like a. Almost everybody on there had had some association with Saturday Night Live. Yeah, with the exception of Mikey Day. I don't know who that is. Uh, he was the the guy that wrote in the uh, the soldier's wife sketch. He was the soldier. Oh right. Yeah, he's uh, and he was on uh, Nick Cannon's Wild Now. That's he was, unfortunate. Which which actually he there still is a SNL connection because. Uh, Pete Davidson is also on there, so it's one of those six degrees of Kevin Bacon type things, but it still works. He was also a writer for Saturday Night Live from 2013 to 2016. Oh, hey, there's that too. Um, I didn't realize that, but no, I mean the show is, I, I really enjoy it, and it, I mean they had their funny moments. They even got me to laugh at when Miley Cyrus was on there, and I dislike Miley Cyrus a lot. Um, didn't watch her do her musical performance part, but like it was really cool. And I don't, I don't think it was live, right? Or was it live? I don't believe it was live, but I think it was filmed in a live situation. Yeah, and that was, was a lot of it. Didn't feel like it was well practiced. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the scenes and stuff. It, I didn't enjoy it as much as you did, but yeah. It was also lopsided. I enjoyed almost everything that Maya Rudolph's skits were and almost nothing that Martin Short's were. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like th- those were the ones that felt the most forced to me. Uh, Maya Rudolph is incredibly talented and, in my opinion, just hugely funny. Um, 
Martin Short stuff, like it probably didn't help that one of his first skits involved Jimmy Fallon and them just being completely moronic together and supposed to be child twins and just be annoying, let alone the fact that, and I love Keenan, but he was playing a Steve Harvey character from SNL. It just felt like a middle of SNL forced skit. Yeah. Like you have to get over this bump to finally get to maybe something good at the end uh, after all the middle part, or at least stay awake until the news happens. Um, I did not enjoy this. I pretty much took it off the DVR as soon as we finished watching the episode. Aaron and I were like, yeah, no. As, as great as Maya is, yeah. it was sort of torturous. It's It sounds like to you it's more clip-worthy, like you go find the clip on YouTube or uh, on Hulu or whatever. I am oh, definitely not going to be seeking yeah. anything out from this show. Well, with, with, with in regards like with Maya's sketches. Yeah, no, I'll 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 let him pass. Yeah. <laughs> just, like I I like her a lot. I thought that her stuff was at least mildly funny, and I know that she had had a show similar to this not too long ago, just on her own. Um, another kind of variety yeah. show thing. Yeah. And maybe they felt that adding Martin Short to it would get her broader audience. Uh, I wish I had caught the other one instead because this was almost torturous. Yeah, the other one was more of, if I'm remembering cor- correctly, a more more classically the uh, uh, a classic variety show, um, sort of deal. Where this one was more, where this one seems like it's it's sketch not, comedy. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's 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 more SNL. Yeah. I mean, the most the most that it felt like a variety show was the part, like you said, Miley Cyrus performs, but she doesn't just perform on her own. Uh, Maya comes out and sings a song with her. Uh, yeah. She's always halfway through the, the bit. And Maya is, of course, a, a good singer as well. I mean, she was in a, a band with a strangely popular hit called Friends of P in the 90s. Um, just a bizarre... Bizarre video and song. I, I still can't understand. We, the nineties were a bad time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, there's not really much else I can say about that. So let's move on to our big discussion of DC's rebirth. So, I I talked about uh, DC's rebirth the last time I was on Sci-Fi Geeks Club, um, a couple weeks ago. With. I'm blanking on his name um, from Major Spoilers. Um, I cannot think of his name. Oh, um, what was it? Uh, Rodrigo, um, I think what, Rodrigo Lopez, I think is his name. I'm sorry, it's not like I, I, I didn't like the guy. It's just I. This was a couple weeks ago, and but so we and we talked about this, this just as Rebirth came out. Um. And Dave, it sounds like Dave really enjoyed it. I'm curious to know if, how you feel about it, but more importantly, do you think this is going to bring you back to the DC universe of comics? Um, well, what did you think? Let, let's hear your opinion. So me, I I read this before reading, uh, finishing up with Justice League and Superman. Yeah, both things that they actually tell you at the beginning, read those issues first. Yeah. Now, I haven't read any of those books, um, and they didn't seem to affect what I felt about this book, but that's 
partially because I read a lot of the news sites and stuff, so nothing yeah. jumped out at me as like, oh, I, I'm missing information here. But I think if you didn't read the news sites, you would be. Possibly. Be- because I think um, the part with um, Dr. Manhattan... I don't think was in the rebirth. I think that was in Justice League 50. Um or f- 52 or wh- whatever the Justice League issue that they're telling you to read beforehand. 50 because they've now announced that some of those issues are probably not going to come out. Oh. Um and I mean it's and the same thing with like Superman with this the Superman stuff it seemed like it was just hinted at in Rebirth, but not the the other things like with him actually dying. They show that obviously in fifty uh, Superman fifty, I think it's fifty. I don't know. Um, but I I did enjoy the book, and I was telling people that whole week about this. Like, when I, like I saw a dude at work who had on a Superman hat. I'm like, dude, if you like that, you should go check out the DC Rebirth. Because it's like an eighty-page book, and it's only two ninety-nine. The first print is two ninety-nine. It has yeah. gone up in price in uh, the second and third prints, but I think they changed to cardstock covers as well. And I mean, a five ninety-nine book for for an eighty-pager makes sense, anyways. But at yeah. two ninety-nine, this was definitely a a potential loss leader for DC to entice people to try it out. Now, uh, so some of the things you're talking about, one is uh, that the new 52 version of Superman has died, has been killed in his own book, but there was another series that was being published, uh, written by Dan Jurgens, who's now going to be writing the Rebirth Superman book, that brought the Convergence storyline of Superman and Lois Lane from the pre-New 52 universe, uh, the pre-Flashpoint universe, I think is what it's mostly been referred to, Yes, brought them to this new world uh, with their son, uh, Jonathan. Yep. And so there is a Superman. Uh, strangely, there's also a Lois Lane, but the other Lois Lane still exists. And now Superman and Lois have an eight-year-old child uh, and have been existing and sort of biding their time. So that's one of the things that gets revealed in this and kind of expects you to have read the storylines going on in the Superman books before that. Your other illusion, which is what is the thing that gets revealed towards the end of it, is that the whole New 52 apparently happened because timelines were affected and stolen from, 10 years apparently were stolen from the characters from before Flashpoint by a powerful force and they weren't sure who it was. And it gets revealed, to a certain degree at least, to have been Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. And so this is the integration of the Watchmen characters, at least to some degree, into the main DC universe now as not just like standing side by side with the heroes like what they did with the Wildstorm characters um, in New 52, but more instigating the entirety of that universe 
and changing things and affecting heroes. And much of this uh, is the story about Wally West, the pre-Flashpoint Wally West, um, and maybe even more pre-that, because once they brought back Barry, they kind of shuttled Wally off to a different point and ignored him as much as they could leading into this. Um, and Wally is what the narrator of this book is, and it sort of mm-hmm. hangs on him. And he's the one who shows up and is trying to find an anchor back into the world as he's being torn into the Speed Force and out of reality. But the New 52 had a different Wally West. And that character still exists. And that character has been Kid Flash. And so what they do to explain it, as opposed to saying this is an alternate Earth version of Wally, is it's a cousin. They share the same aunt that Barry knows. Um, but they're cousins from different sides of the family, and they were both named after the same grandfather or uncle or whoever, and they must have at one point known about each other. It just so happens that in this new continuity, the other Wally got to become Kid Flash since this Wally wasn't around. And that's kind of already such a convoluted way of trying to fix a problem that was made by the same people who now are trying to go back and course correct. Um, This whole thing reads to me like I've read this story before. I've read so many of the pages and the way the the things kind of like, oh, we're setting things up for going ahead. I've read these things at the end of Flashpoint. I read these things when Johns wrote Infinite Crisis. Uh, I've read these things over and over again, and it's because the same people keep doing this. And that, to me, is not boding well for what Rebirth is. Because Rebirth is basically trying to tell us that for five years, we've read this other universe, and it was all screwed up by characters created by Alan Moore, and it was out of our hands because... You know, Alan Moore did Watchmen, and it was so popular for so long that it darkened the entire DC universe. No, you dicks pretty much know that Alan Moore wants fuck all to do with the DC universe and would pretty much like you to leave his shit alone at the same time. <laughs> um, so, one, this is a great way to just piss all over Alan Moore once more because you didn't just do that with before Watchmen, you assholes. Um, not that I care. Not that I'm a Moore fan at all. But it is so dumb to me that we're expected to believe that these people are fixing a problem that exists and ignoring the fact that they created the fucking problem. They made the New 52. Jeff Johns wrote Flashpoint which then caused the New 52 to happen. And then he wrote this shitty-ass version of the Justice League in the New 52. He wrote a whole bunch of shitty stuff in the New 52. And some of it was okay. I'm not going to say all of it was crap. But the entire thing hinged around Jeff Gion's being the creative chief creative officer mm-hmm. for DC. And Dan DiDio and Jim Lee being the big guys at DC. And Bob Harris... Uh, who got fired from Marvel for fucking up the company real bad and getting into Chapter 13. Being a part of all of this are those same people. So I don't want to say that none of them are capable of doing 
better work because I think they all have in their histories done better work. But it's just a continuous cycle of the same shit over and over again. And that is pretty much the definition of insanity, isn't it? You know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yeah. Um, and so we are being given back certain things. We're being given back Wally West, white Wally West. Now, in Infinite Crisis, Jeff Johns basically started the book by having Superboy Prime, who was from a much better series called Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, he started by having Superboy Prime punch against the walls of reality. So these giant wall punches of reality caused Infinite Crisis to happen. In this case, uh, it's a wall again, except we're being white-walled. And by that I mean White Wally West is coming back to cause the Rebirth universe to happen, which is still not what was before. Yeah, It's still very confusing and it still follows a lot of cliche things that they've done over and over again. Now, part of the problem that I see as a potential new reader, which I am not, fuck no, I've been reading DC Comics for over 40 years, um, but as a potential new reader, I pick up these books and I say, okay, so there's Batman and Robin. Well, no, you dumb shit. There's not Batman and Robin. Batman, who's only been around for five years, has had 30 fucking Robins at this point. A few Batgirls, there's a Batwoman, and try to figure this out because now there's a Huntress who replaces another Huntress who went to another planet that I don't even know exists anymore. Plus, she's dead. But whatever. Let's go back for a second. Let's talk about Batman and Robin, Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson is Nightwing now. At some point, he might have been Batman. Maybe not. And then Batman and Robin, Jason Todd. No, Jason Todd got killed by a Joker. Oh, really? The Joker? Don't say the, schmuck. There's three Jokers now. Um, don't know which one's which, don't know why, but somehow there's three. Yeah, that happens in this. Um, so Batman and Tim Drake? Tim Drake was never Robin. He was Red Robin. Really? Was he Red Robin or was he Robin? Who knows? Who knows? Scott Liddell fucked it up for everybody. Let's go on to Batman has a kid who's now 13 years old, but again, Batman has existed for five years. Maybe now six years. I don't know. Someone stole 10 years, but Batman still got a 13-year-old kid with an assassin and and his greatest enemy's daughter, essentially. Yeah, uh, that that is somehow going to make sense. But now there's new Robins. There's, there's whatever this guy who I think is going to be called Lark and then there's Bluebird, um, and then there's Spoiler, and so the the League of Robins is going on still, somehow. Lark? Yeah, Lark. Uh, I forget what the guy's name is, but there there is the character who came out in one of the Batman stories where they went to the future, and he was Robin for a period of point in time. Um, I can't tell you his name. I know nothing about it. The only other person I could think of it from the New 52 uh, run... Duke. Duke. Duke's yes. Con- okay, yeah, yeah. Duke's... Commonly, the, the reference to Duke is that he was supposed to become a character named Lark at some point. I don't know if that actually ever happened. Um, so another thing the New 52 was supposed to do is they were supposed to make Ryan Choi 
the Atom from the beginning. Uh, that was said very close to the beginning of the New 52 as that was going to happen. And then Ryan Choi disappeared for five years. Uh, this is after, again, the same people, the same people uh, took Ryan Choi and had him be murdered by Deathstroke uh, with a little thumb, fucking thumbnail-sized sure. toothpick sword thing and put him in a matchbox. Uh, so these assholes are now bringing us brightness and hope back to the universe that they took away. Um, but he's going to be the Adam to old white Adam. And then Jaime Reyes is the Blue Beetle, but he's hanging out with someone who we know as an old version of the Blue Beetle, except in this he doesn't appear to have ever been the Blue Beetle because he's just making the bug. That's Ted Cord. Again, Ted Cord murdered in a book by Jeff Johns in the old continuity, this was broken before by the same person who's saying, oh, we've, we've got to fix all these things now. Um, let's see. The most interesting thing about this is probably that the Aqualad from the Young Justice series is gay, but then his mom hates him and says he's messed up because he's gay, and it has nothing to do with his powers. Uh, also, betrothed People who just like something's missing. We we should have been together this whole time. Green Arrow and Black Canary. Just to do it, it it's it's it doesn't make any sense other than the fact that they're trying to act like they're giving us back what they took away, but they're not giving back what they took away. They're making more convoluted continuity for the sake of convoluted continuity, and making things harder for the new reader, which I don't get. You did five years, and I know, I know. So realistically, yes, your audience isn't new readers. New readers are not going to come buy your books because they didn't with New 52. You you acted like that was going to happen. It didn't happen. You realize that your audience is 40-year-old men uh, who have read the comics for as long as I have. And that sucks because you can't grow your business based off of people like me. But this isn't even fixing things for people like me because it's still not the DC Universe as I know it. And I'm I'm from back before Crisis. I'm from back when there was an Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, and all that shit before it got all changed out for that. And Crisis is a great series, but then I went through 20 years of post-Crisis. Mm-hmm. And it sucked losing a lot of great toys, but it was still... I recognized the characters. Now, the Superman may be the remnants of the Superman that I grew up with, but he's not the Superman that people recognize. When Wally West got married and had kids, and then they aged his kids so that they become the next generation of superheroes and gave them powers and stuff, DC decided it was boring and shelved Wally and brought back Barry. You know, so they they didn't even play around with those kids. They replaced uh, Bart Allen as Impulse with Wally's daughter, made Bart the new Kid Flash. So there were three Flashes running around and a Kid Flash who used to be Impulse and now a new Impulse, not to mention Jesse Quicken's mother's, and they were like, well, we can't really do this whole family thing. The book didn't sell. 
but they think that a Superman and Lois Lane book is going to sell when, again, they can't even go around saying that they're Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Yeah. Because those characters, that Superman was outed from Clark Kent, and there's another Lois Lane out there. So I just, I look at this and I just think, it's a mess. It's still the same kind of mess that they've done before. Uh, what's funny to me is there's no talk at all about any Wildstorm characters, um, which was a big thing before of integrating those characters into this universe. All that's gone, um, or they just don't want to talk about it. No talk about the Milestone characters, which is another rich universe that they're doing nothing with and have ownership of. The Charlton characters exist, sort of, but they're also bringing in the Watchmen characters, which were the counterpoint to the Charlton characters. That's what they were based off of to make Watchmen. It just it doesn't feel like they've learned anything, and that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some great books. And already, I mean, Green, Green Arrow, number one after Rebirth, sold 90,000 copies mm-hmm. from the distributor. I don't know how many sold out in the store, but that's a huge deal. So it's not like they're not getting success financially from this. But the question becomes, you know, there was a big sales at first with New 52, and there were some big sales spikes when they had their special events in September for the first couple of years. But the books still have to be good for people to keep reading them. And I look at things like Greg Rucka doing Wonder Woman with uh, Liam Sharp and... Nicholas Scott, and I'm excited by that. And doing the whole line at three bucks an issue, that's amazing. So I don't want to take away from some of the things that are very exciting and very welcoming to new readers. But I still don't think that the editorial people know how to just tell good stories. They keep trying to... They keep making holes that they have to fill in. Mm-hmm. They keep creating a problem that doesn't need to exist to fix the problem in lieu of telling good stories. And I just... I don't get it. I don't understand how these people, who I don't hate, I bear no ill will towards at all, and who I have individually liked in the creative sense over time... I just don't know how they haven't lost their jobs or why they're still in charge of these things when they have proven over and over again diminishing returns each time that they do this. Someone needs to kind of come in and kick things around and say, maybe we get back to actual basics, not fake basics, not pretend like we're giving you everything back we just took away, but just tell some goddamn good stories with good characters that have existed in some cases for 80 years. Yeah. You know, I just, it's frustrating because I should, me of all people, I should be the audience for this book. I should be the guy who's like, yeah, you know, I could be the asshole and say, in your face, New 52 fans, uh, I got my shit back. But I didn't. You know, nobody wins in this. Because if you like the new 52, that doesn't exist anymore. And if you like the stuff that came before Flashpoint, that still doesn't really exist anymore either. So all we have are new kind of continuity fuck-ups from the same people who were doing it the whole time. 
I don't see a win. I don't see a win with this creatively at all. But we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I see a lot of that as as you're saying it, and it's like, oh great. Um, but it already got to the point right now with all the DC books ending from the New Feeds two. I think the only ones I've been picking up are like the Harley Quinn book and then the Rebirth stuff. And like I think maybe I think I picked up We Are Robin, but it's been like okay, it's been me going. All right, what's the story that they're wrapping up here? Do I want to read it? Do I care? Yeah, do I care? Or I'm like, eh, I don't really need to know what happens at the end of Cyborg or Martian Manhunter. People hate to back a losing team. Yeah. You know, people hate, uh, not everybody, some people are fans of the end, and that's great. But when you see that, all right, so these stories that are happening right now, 80% of them don't matter. In a month's time, these characters and these storylines don't matter at all. Won't even necessarily affect the new continuity. Um, Green Arrow is going to be completely different. Black Canary, the whole DCU stuff, fucking out the window. Other than Batgirl's costume, I don't know how much of that is going to actually stick around in any way, shape, or form. Is Black Canary ever going to have been a singer in a band? Uh, or or what? Is, is most of this stuff just moot? Yeah. And and that's that's too bad if you're a fan of that stuff. And I've been through that over and over again, so I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's again why I don't feel like any pride in I I get my way. Even if it was like we went back to the pre New Fifty Two stuff, it, it's not great because there were people who liked this, not as many as they thought there were going to be. But I think the problem even then wasn't so much that. They fucked everything up with the New 52, but they didn't know how to tell stories with these characters. And they kind of just let things slap against a wall slapdash and didn't give a shit to make sense out of it. The whole thing with Scott Liddell's stories with the Teen Titan characters and Tim Drake and not understanding where he fit or what he tried to do with you know, Starfire. Did Starfire and the old Titans exist? You know, we started out thinking that they did. Lobo versus New Lobo. Mm-hmm. A lot of things just kind of got messed up, and nobody seemed to be paying attention to it. And it's those same asshats at the wheel. Yeah. It's like, hey, but- drunk bus driver, you just drove the last fucking class into the ocean uh, <laughs> instead of getting them home safely, but can you be here tomorrow because we have a whole new class that needs to get to school safe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's I think that's it, to be honest. I mean... Yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of overran. No, no. It's, no, this is great. I, like I said, I already gave my thoughts on this on the Sci-Fi Geeks Club. I, I did enjoy the book. I'm excited to see where it's going um, from here. But I'm an optimist. I go into that thinking, okay, they're finally going to get their shit together. And then realize, oh, I was wrong. Well, there's another thing, too. There's another point of view of this, and this is something I've been coming to realize more and more, is that I have had 40-plus years of Mm -hmm. reading DC Comics, Marvel Comics, comics in general. And maybe there's a point in time where I have to realize that it's too much. It, it's not just that 
the comics aren't for me anymore. It's that maybe they shouldn't be for me. I had my time with these characters, and I have my love of these characters, but I shouldn't be the only audience for Superman and Batman. I shouldn't mm-hmm. be the only audience for Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. And when things are happening, and I've seen them repeat, like I've seen the same stories told over and over and over again, that's why when Captain America is turning out to suddenly be a Hydra agent in the background all this time, it doesn't affect me because I've seen this shit play out. I know the the hooks that they're going to hit and the beats that are going to happen, and I know how it all works out at the end. So at some point the cycles stop being intriguing and interesting and it's meant for the new reader who hasn't read mm-hmm. the the same storylines, hasn't read Secret Wars and hasn't maybe even read the first Civil War. So as they're repeating Civil War again, yeah, the cycles are getting shorter and I think that's a bad move. Yeah. But it, it doesn't seem like to the, the layman, the, the new reader is like, oh, this is cool and interesting. And I'm like, oh, no, fuck no, it isn't, because we've seen it better. We've seen the same thing happen. Well, maybe that's not a problem with the people making the comics now. Maybe that's a problem with the people who've read the comics for too long. Mm -hmm. And we should have grown past it, and we should have moved on to other things. And I'm not saying that other things doesn't include comic books, but there's a reason why DC did Vertigo. And there's a reason why Marvel had Epic. And there's a reason why Image exists and all these other things exist. Because it does give us the opportunity to get new stories and maybe stories with a definitive ending and at a point where we can say, okay, that was great, move on to the next thing. But our fucking determination to keep our Batman and our Flash and our Superman is screwing things up. Yeah. Uh, so I can't find joy in a Batman versus Superman movie, which should be fucking amazing, but not to me. Yeah. So is it a problem with the movie? I think in some ways, yes. But I think it's also a problem with me. Um, on the other hand, though, I fucking love the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. So I think there's still something there that says maybe Batman v Superman just could have been better. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so, us, with us joining the Galactic Netcasts, uh, we came into some problems here, um, and that's the fact that hey, our our company that we work for now has to pay the bills. You know, just like you guys, we got to pay the bills. Um, and so that's where we have you know like, um, we have. Th- the website, we got the audio hosting. Gregor and I eat a lot of cheese. You yes. can tell. You can look yeah. at us and know. I'm a limburger. Yeah. He's a Gouda. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, not a Gouda. After what we talked about with cheese on Podcast of Terror this week, never mind. I'm really sorry for what I just said. <laughs> but no, so I mean, so you guys can help us out by going to gncast.com slash support. That will take you to... That's where you can, On there you could find our Patreon page, um, and where you can make a recurring monthly uh, pledge. Um, and, it, and also on there, it has the Amazon shop, or the, the shop on Amazon, the affiliate link, to where if you're like me, and you bought something through that link, 
a little bit of money goes to Dave to help keep the ship afloat, to help him pay for the costs of keep of of the audio hosting of doing this. I believe the next goal is advertising, so you could tell your friends about the show, about your your favorite show that talks about horror movies or that talks about uh, board games or that talks about random shit or that talks about sci-fi movies or whatever it might be. Or help develop the network enough so that we can get more new content. You know, there's a lot of hosts here and we're all trying to make the best shows that we can. But as the network grows, we might acquire other hosts. We might be able to afford to put more time into new shows ourselves. We're always trying to make more stuff for you. The goal of, of the support page is not to pay us for doing the shows that we're doing. The goal of the support page is to help us grow the network to make it better for you guys. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, key. None of us are looking at this as collecting a paycheck. We're looking at this as a way of making Collected Netcasts the best possible choice for your podcast listening. Yes, exactly. Um, that's gncast.com slash support. And uh, you can contact us by leaving a voicemail. And I encourage you guys, leave voicemails um, at 805-328-3966. Or you can email us, mail at altsnerds.com. Um, all of our subscription options can be found un, uh, can be found over at gncast.com slash subscribe. And you can join us on our Facebook page. All the social media pages are at, just search for Galactic Netcasts. And you can find our show Twitter at Elsnerds. Um, and you can find our producers, Beatmaster, who is currently sleeping because it is way too damn early where he is at. He is at Beatmaster80. Evan our producer right here, who's with us in the room, is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. I am at that Gregor, and Corey is at Don't Ask Comics. Don't ask what the comics are, it's just Don't Ask Comics. Um, and this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We'll see you guys next week. Or else. You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.